Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome on The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We have a lot to get to on tonight's show, including the possibility of a major league call-up for Heston Kerstad, as well as a recap of the Dominican Summer League and Florida Complex League seasons as we run down our all-star team combined between those two clubs. But first, we're going to get into the tough news of the last week, which is the injury to Felix Bautista. Bautista was on the mound against the Colorado Rockies Friday night with two outs when he was removed from the game after throwing a 102-mile-per-hour fastball up and away. After the pitch was delivered, Bautista appeared to be showing signs of discomfort. Brandon Hyde and head trainer Brian Ebel visited him on the mound, and Bautista was removed from the game. On Saturday afternoon, Mike Elias revealed that Bautista would be placed on the 15-day IL and that he had some degree of injury to his UCL. Now, the ulnar collateral ligament is what typically leads to Tommy John surgery if it is torn. However, the Orioles still don't know whether or not Bautista is going to require in surgery. Nonetheless, he's on the IL now, and if he would require surgery, would likely miss all of the 2024 season. So a tough break for the Orioles' bullpen, especially as this team tries to make the push to the postseason to lose not only their best reliever, but one of the game's best relievers overall and a true Cy Young candidate in the American League. So, Bob, this uh, has been, I think, tough for the Orioles and tough for the fans to process this, but... We're about 72 hours out now. The Orioles won Friday night's game as well as Saturday to clinch the series against the Rockies. But they're going to have to rely on a different batch of relievers to close in the ninth inning. How are you feeling about all of this? Not great. Um, you know, I'm the eternal optimist, so I'm like holding a sliver of hope that maybe it's not going to require surgery and maybe he can come back towards the end of the season to playoffs. But that's just a sliver of hope. Um, yeah, I don't. I know I've seen people say, well, see, this it just goes to show why they should have done more at the deadline to require a back-end reliever. And I think we all agreed that maybe we would have liked to have seen another reliever added at the deadline, but I don't care who you would have got it. It's not going to replace what Felix Bautista was doing at the end of games. He was a legitimate Cy Young contender. I actually, it might be my fault. I put $10 on him to win the Cy Young, like the day before it happened. So uh, sorry about that. But uh, 
Yeah, the the only good news is that we have Tyler Wells who has transitioned into uh, back to relief in AAA uh, to you know mm-hmm. save his innings, save his his arm. And John Means is coming back. Not like he can help it closer, but he could fill in somewhere in the bullpen. And then obviously D.L. Hall was called up to replace him, and, and he looked good in his first outing, touching ninety nine. You know, it, it's. It's uh, small victories in a huge loss is what we're looking at there. But, yeah, it's not great. I think it hurts more in the playoffs than the regular season. I think for now, guys like Cano and Hall and and even Cologne and Webb, we have actually – our bullpen was actually just getting shored up, I feel like, all throughout middle relief to late high leverage situations. But, yeah, it's a big blow, especially for the playoffs. Um, hopefully you can come back. If not, hopefully someone will step up and uh, be dominant down the stretch. Yeah, this one, I just feel terrible for him because this was his breakout year. Like you guys mentioned, he was legitimate Cy Young candidate, and you just felt so good for him. I mean, we all know the backstory, right? This guy was 25, 26 years old, could barely throw strikes in A ball, and now he's arguably, if he's not the most, he's arguably the most dominant closer in Major League Baseball right now. So it definitely stinks to see him go down, for lack of a better word. Um the only thing for me is that I, I do agree that for the regular season, maybe like you can just you can play the matchup game that we know the Orioles and Brendan Hyde are, are going to employ. It's the closer by committee. It's ride the hot hand. Who feels good that day? Who doesn't? But I, I do agree that come playoff time, it's just that steady presence. I think there are enough bodies to get the job done. So the optimist in me says I like all of the options we have. And we can just piecemeal this together and crawl across the finish line and get there. But at the same time, like thinking about it, the only concern I have are the question marks associated with these options. Like DL Hall, yes, he looks good. He looks so much better now than he did earlier this year. But I'm thinking like that last week or two of the regular season and then into the playoffs when these games get ratcheted up a little bit, tenfold even. Like, how are these guys going to respond? How's D.L. Hall going to respond in that pressure situation? You know, Tyler Wells has already been sent down trying to fix his whatever's going on there. Yes, he's looking a little bit better, and it's very clear that they're preparing him for like a one-inning, two-inning roll at the bullpen. But, you know, how's he going to hold up down that stretch? We've already – Junior Cano's pitching better, but we've already had that discussion and watched him discuss that fatigue issue with Cano. So it's like how is he going to hold up? We still have like another, what, more than a month of regular season baseball before the playoffs start these other options as well, like Michael Bauman. Yeah, he can come back up, but again, do you trust him to go out regularly that night that you have Brian Baker there? You've got all these options, but again, Fujinami even, but again, with Fujinami, it's like, is he going to have his command or control that night? It's that's the only thing that bothers me is all these guys have the stuff to get it done. And there are so many options. The Orioles can rotate through, but you know, it's just that 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 mountain, that rock, that, not the rock, that's Cano, but it's that mountain. It's that steady force that, you know, going into the ninth inning, if you've got the lead, yeah, Batista doesn't have it every single night. He's given up some, you know, the bombs, but that's just great pitcher, great hitter, and sometimes the great pitcher gets beat because these great hitters are great for many reasons. So, but more often than not, Felix Batista shut it down, and it's that stability and comfort in the ninth inning that I'm worried about. Right, right-handed pitcher with a 102 mile an hour fastball and a nasty splitter goes down. 
<laughs> right-handed pitcher with the 102 mile an hour fastball and nasty splitter comes in fuji it's your time no i don't know if he's suited for the role but it is interesting yeah it's you know there's no good time to lose someone like felix bautista to injury but aside from the fact that you're this close to the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs the other thing that really hurts about the timing of this injury is that as you said bob it felt like the bullpen was actually coming into place pretty nicely you could see pitchers getting comfortable in their roles. You know, Danny Colomb has looked good since coming off the IL. Cano has looked better lately. Jacob Webb has been good since coming over from the Angels. And Sinel Perez has settled into a point now where he's not quite at that level of dominance that he had last year, but you're a lot more comfortable with him in the game in a tight spot than you would have been a month or two ago. And a lot of that can happen because you have that guy in the ninth inning that's going to shut things down. And you can put pitchers in the roles where they're – comfortable and where they're likely to succeed. So some players really are about to be tested down the stretch. And D.L. Hall is a perfect example, Nick. You know, mentality-wise, I think Hall is built for these situations. But we also know he has very little major league experience. And he's going to be asked in a little more than a month to go up against the best lineups in the American League in tight spots and shut things down. Yeah, and I mean, it's... It all goes back to it's like <laughs> I wish that that lead was more comfortable, so you could bring up a you know a Bruce Zimmerman. Uh, you could keep Nick Vespi up, although Vespi's situation I think is a little different now because I believe he only has one more option, right? Or if he gets optioned again, he's got to pass through waivers to get some back down. But you know, you wish you could bring up some of these other guys that are in the minors, and and let Joey Crable I think would be a good example. Let them come up and eat some of these late innings. But at the same time, like every single game is becoming more and more critical for this organization. It's what a game lead entering tonight. Um, yeah, it's just, that stability is, is gone and it sucks right now. And hopefully like it's next man up mentality. Like Bob said, it's pretty amazing that, yeah, the Orioles could have done more, blah, blah, whatever. Hindsight's 2020. But like it is pretty amazing that you do still have the guy with the 100 plus mile an hour splitter that you can bring in. Cano's pitching much better. John Means, I wonder what kind of role he's going to serve when he comes back. But like, at least everyone else in this bullpen seems to be taking it up a notch here at a critical point. Just hopefully they can continue that for as long as possible. Yeah, you would think a team on pace to win 100 games would have a little bit of breathing room, but no, we have none. So not really much you can do as far as get letting Bruce Zimmerman come up and eat some innings and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I I think D.L. Hall. I would love to see him just thrive in this situation down the stretch and kind of, I don't know, almost, it's not like, I don't know if he would even displace Cano as closer, just, you know, closer, quote unquote, as far as like who you tap to just automatically go to the ninth. But I feel like he is built, especially hearing that it was his idea to go back to Sarasota, build up his velocity and come back in relief to help the team win at the major league level. That to me, I mean, he's, he's got the attitude and the want, like he's got that growth mindset, but not even that, just like that. What is it? The, the saying these days, that dog in him, uh, he wants, he wants this and I'd love to see him, you know, just grab the opportunity by it, by the horns and, uh, take control of it. So we'll see. Well, Going to a different subject now, which is something else that Michael Elias dived into on Saturday when he met with the media, which is he re- confirmed something I think that we've suspected for a while, which is that Heston Kerstad 
is on the team's radar for when rosters expand on September 1st. Kerstad has put together one of the best seasons of any Orioles prospect this year, hitting 305 to 913 OPS, 19 homers, and 49 RBIs across 482 plate appearances between Bowie and Norfolk. With Norfolk, he's hit 302 with an 878 OPS and eight homers and 276 plate appearances. The Orioles outfield right now looks pretty good. Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander are getting the job done. You have the D8 spot locked down between Ryan Mountcastle and Ryan O'Hearn. At the same time, though, the Orioles probably see Kerstad as part of their plans for 2024. So the argument could be made to bring him up now, give him a taste of this pennant run, see what he can do, and then groom him for a role next season. Now, with that said, we also know that there's not really a clear path for regular playing time at the major leagues for him right now. So, Nick, I'll start with you on this one. I don't think we would be surprised at all if Kerstad is, in fact, called up. But how do you think it would play out if he was called up? He's definitely not going to get anywhere close to the playing time. I think that a lot of fans are going to want him to get. Uh, I, I think that should be expectation number one. If he is the guy to come up, I have a hard time. He definitely deserves it, but I I think Colton Cowser's ability to play center field, I think that could play a role in this. You have Joey Ortiz as well. If you know this team is pretty loyal to the veterans, I don't know if Ortiz would be an option. I just see those two guys as maybe guys who could fill bigger roles and more critical roles maybe down the stretch. But if it is Kerstad for whatever reason, I mean, I really think for his down the stretch playoff run, it'd be more like a you know a lefty late. He might get a couple starts here and there, obviously against righties, but he's more of that left-handed hitter off the bench type thing. All right, let's. We know he's a big left-handed hitter with big power bring him in for a couple of pinch hit appearances here and there. I think that would be kind of his primary role. Um, I just don't see, like you mentioned that clear role for regular playing time. If it is cursed at like, yes, he deserves it, but I just think the the avenues for playing time and meaningful player time that could have a bigger impact are, are more so there for Colton Cowser and Joey Ortiz guys like that. But cursed situation is a little bit unique, but if anything, He's the lefty with big power. And if you, you're down and you need that run and you say, hey, let's take out whoever. Let's take out Ramon Arias or whoever, pinch it for him. Maybe you luck out and get that home run. He connects on one and changes the game. He does have that game-changing power, so he, he's got that going for him. But, yeah, I just don't see a super clear role for him right now. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it would be a clear role. I think they'd try to find a way to get him in a little bit more than, like, Kyle Stowers last year. But – I think they would pick their spots very closely. And he is an even splits guy, I feel like, as far as he can hit lefties as a left-handed hitter. So it's not like had to be a strict platoon, although we've seen uh, guys like Stowers who hit lefties well uh, be platooned anyway. I I could see a world where both Kowser and Kerstad come up in September because you could send McKenna down if Kowser could be your backup center fielder and Kerstad's just like that. Mm -hmm you know, bat, it's either off the bench or or starts a game or, or two a week at either first base, DH, or right field at Camden Yards, maybe left or right uh, on away stadiums. But I, I don't know. I think Joey Ortiz makes a, a great case for himself as well, um, depending on what they want to do, how they want to distribute the outfield to infield ratio with the extra 
extra guy. But for me personally, I think I think it's going to be Kerstad. I think they leave Kowser down the rest of the year strictly because it's long-term thinking. You get them both major league experience in 2023. They both retain rookie eligibility going into 2024. And you just have more uh, swings at the plate at uh, that rookie of the year draft pick compensation. So, yeah, I think they're going to try to look at the present and the future at the same time. And I, I do think it's going to be cursed. I think that's basically Elias telling you what's going to happen. That's yeah, typically I, his key phrase. Like the daily conversations, that's the key phrase that he's coming up with in like two weeks max. Yeah, I agree with you both. I get the sense that it is going to be cursed at. Nick, you bring up a good point with the fact that Calder can play center field. His defense, I think, would grade out better than Kerstad's anyhow. Um, and then Ortiz, you know that even if the bat doesn't come around, the glove at shortstop is going to be a added benefit for this team. That said, because you still have Jorge Mateo around and you have Ramon Arias, who's actually looked a lot better at third base since coming off the IL, I don't know that there's a clear path for Ortiz to get playing time either. Um, so with Kerstad, my expectation would be that if he does come up, it's going to be that he'll pinch it, uh, you know, like you said, in those situations where his game-changing power could come into play. Uh, kind of where we've seen Ryan O'Hearn get pinch hit opportunities over the course of the season. That's where I think you would see Kerstad a little bit. And then I would suspect, given how they tend to handle defense or that they, they know players are going to be challenged defensively early on, that when Kerstad does start, more often than not, it's going to be a DH. Uh, they may just feel more comfortable with Anthony Santander in right field over Kerstad, just because with Santander, there's not that adjustment period. Is he a great defender in right field? No, but he's not having to undergo the adjustment to playing in major league ballparks, getting used to different outfields in the way that Kerstad will. So my sense is that we'll see Kerstad in the outfield here and there, but that when he does start, most of those at-bats are going to come at DH. Put this out there, though, just talking about Calder for a minute. I think that we would all agree that if Calder is not called up, it's not because the organization thinks anything less of him. But do you think that they would go with Kerstad in part because of that rookie of the year eligibility factor, knowing that both guys could be eligible going into next year if you keep Kerstad down, or, or excuse me, Calder down? Or is it because Kerstad's power in a limited role is going to make more of a difference than anything Colton Calder can offer in a limited role? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I I think I don't. I've, I would hope at this point the organization just makes a decision that's going to be best for them to win games and not worry too much about next year's rookie eligibility. Although I'm sure that's kind of like fool's thinking because Michael Ice is going to want that draft pick and that extra bonus pool money, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a this is a tough one for me. I do agree though that if you do see Kershad, if it is Kershad, which we know it will be, he's primarily going to be DH. But I just Kowser, that eye at the plate, man. It's just I think he can do he can be a a more impactful player if you bring him up here for this stretch. Yes, that first run wasn't great, but he was still hitting the ball hard. He was still drawing walks. And I think that we've seen this before with some other guys, like Grayson Rodriguez is a great example. Colton Kowser went down to Norfolk and took zero time to like hit the reset button. He hit it automatically and started hitting from day one 
he had that stretch of what seven, eight straight games with a base hit, a couple home runs, a couple stolen bases, a couple walks, the whole shebang. He was doing it all down there, robbing that home run. Beautiful catch the other day out in center field at Harvard Park. He was doing it all defensively and offensively. And I just think if you bring him up, he's going to be the guy that can make a, a bigger impact on this lineup this year down the stretch. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to me. It's it's a very close call because obviously Kowser's going to give you better at bats, most likely. He's going to take more walks. He's got power himself, maybe not the same kind of power Kerstad does, but at the same time, Kerstad basically until the past couple weeks, or he actually was kind of breaking out of his first slump ever uh, this past weekend, uh, ever, I mean as far as this season. Since spring training, he's been lighting it up. He lit it up in spring training. He lit it up from day one at Double A. Never slumped. Triple A hit the ground running. Never slumped. And then he had like a two week stretch recently where he just it was it wasn't working for him. And now I feel like this past weekend he's breaking out of it. So I feel like you know it could also just be a reward for him. I know that's not how these things typically go, but just for his season that he's had and and the work that he's put in ever since missing all that time with Meyer Cadardis. Yeah, it's. I'm glad the decision is not mine. I'll say that. It's fun to have a, a team that has already won 81 games, and you have the kind of farm system that you have, where this is a legitimate discussion of which outfield prospects, both of which are consensus top 100 prospects in all of baseball, would be better to round out the uh, you know margins of your roster over the final month of the season. But we'll certainly wait and see what happens with Kerstad, who could be in the major leagues by the end of this week. And with that, we're going to go all the way down to the lowest levels of the Orioles farm system and recap the Dominican Summer League and Florida Complex League seasons. As both of those leagues have come to a conclusion in the regular season, the Orioles carried two Dominican Summer League teams, Orioles Orange and Orioles Black, with one team in the FCL. And what we thought we would do to highlight some of the standout performances from these leagues was to put together an all-star team. So we have the eight positions players plus a starting pitcher from each team as well as a reliever on each team. Now, when it came to the pitchers, the three of us could not come to a consensus on most of those spots. So what we're going to do when we get to that section, we're each going to highlight a guy kind of like we do in the final segment of our episode every week, except it's going to be starting pitcher in the FCL, a reliever in the FCL, as well as a reliever in the DSL. And with that, I'm going to just kind of start with a general conversation here, which is we've talked over the years about how we try to evaluate players in the Dominican Summer League, where you really don't have video. Uh, most of the video you get is from players' social media, and it's limited clips. There's not a lot of reporting going on down there, so we're not getting intel necessarily from a lot of national outlets. And you're also looking at a small sample size with players who, for the most part, are teenagers. So, Bob, what do you typically try to look at with Dominican Summer League players to kind of take away, you know, maybe this guy is somebody we should have on our radar? Yeah, for me, it's strikeout rate, walk rate. You know, those are the trusty standbys because if you're not striking out, that's a pretty good sign that your hit tool is good. You're getting the bat to the ball. If you're walking, you've got a good approach. You've got, you know, got them swing decisions already at an early age. Power, I don't worry as much about because these kids are, what, 16, 18 years old, maybe 19. And that's going to come later. Um, you know, some of the 
biggest power guys in the world aren't going to hit multiple or double digit home runs at the age of 17 in the FCL or, or DSL. So for me, yeah, it's walk rate, strikeout rate, and just, and WRC plus just to, cause that will league contextualize what they're doing. Cause some leagues have a lower offensive profile than others. So that's just another example. Like a 750 OPS is like a 110 WRC plus in the FCL. So that just gives you a, a barometer. So those are the things I really try to focus on. Yeah. And all that. And for me, I also look at like growth throughout the year too. Like maybe that final line doesn't look great, but I know there were a lot of guys last year, for example, like your Edwin Amparos and a lot of these guys who are in the FCL right now, last year, their first year in the DSLs, the final stat lines weren't great. But if you look at like their month by month splits, it was like an awful first two months and then a steady increase that OPS going from like 600 to 800 to 900 to another 900 OPS month to end the year strikeout rates stabilizing going down walks going up so all of those i think have been good key indicators down here some you mentioned the video is fun but it is just like it's these kids putting out their own good highlights obviously so it's only the best of the best they're obviously not going to put anything that's not flattering out there on their instagram uh so but at least you still get something uh and yeah just relying on really it's Ben Badler, I mean, is the expert resource here. I think nationally on these guys, that's really all you get. And I think there are a lot of guys who he highlighted at the beginning of the year who made this all-star team. So it's we got some some decent guys down here at the lower levels. Pitching, I'm iffy on once again, but you never know when that Luis de Leon is going to jump out uh, when they reach Del Marva. But the hitters, I think this year, a lot of really impressive hitting lines down in the DSL and the FCL. I think more so than the last couple of years. Yeah, with that, let's uh, start talking about some of the hitters who made our team. At catcher, we were unanimous in our selection of Yudis Mordan, who had an excellent season in the FCL as part of his stateside debut. Luis Vicioso gets a nod at first base. Vicioso is coming off a strong season in the Dominican Summer League. He is the brother of Orioles infielder Jorge Mateo. And rounding out our infield, Leandro Arias, who put together an excellent season at the FCL, comes in at second base. Joshua Lorenzo, who had an impressive DSL season, is a third. And on the left side of the infield is another DSL prospect in Fernando Paguero. Yeah, um, the infield was probably the deepest, uh, as far as I could tell. Like, even some guys like Luis Guevara and uh, one of the Mejias, Jose Mejia, who was injured for a lot of the season, but then came on strong late and... Ellis Cuevas, these guys had fantastic seasons, didn't make the cut. But yeah, um, very strong group here. Like a guy like Joshua Lorenzo, I feel like that's a guy that Nick's talking about where you see the improvement as the season goes on in a DSL because I know he was like batting under 100 for the first month of the season and he finished with a 244 batting average in a OPS approaching 800. He had six doubles, two triples, five home runs. One of those, we heard about him, what we heard about him after the international signing period was he's got ridiculous power. And I think you started to see that not many guys are hitting five home runs in the DSL, at least from the past few years uh, following along when Orioles prospects go. So he stood out to me. Obviously we know about Leandro Arias. He did what they said he could do. He again, batted 271, 12 stolen bases, had some power, seven doubles, two triples, three home runs, uh, OPS close to 800. And um, yeah, Fernando Piguero, I know runs is not like the end-all be-all as far as stats, but he had 54 runs 
in a like two month season, like ridiculous <laughs> leading off with the 900 OPS, 20 stolen bases. So I know he was repeating the DSL, but impressive nonetheless, and definitely went from a guy who, you know, was just a guy to a guy where it's like, uh, when he's in the FCL next year, it's like, I'm looking out for him, his name in the box score and what he does every day. Yeah. I'll start with more Don the catcher here in the FCL because I was shocked he actually wasn't promoted to Delmarva after Basayo got moved up to Aberdeen. But again, he's also just 19 years old and his it's actually his third year in the organization. His first two were in the DSL and statistically like they weren't great. I think he had like just one home run in 80 games, really high strikeout rates. Uh, but this year, I mean, the strikeout rate dropped from like 27% down to about 20%. He's a catcher with a 130 WRC plus this year. And again, I know it's Sarasota, but still, I think he had a great season offensively. Defensively, I don't think he's like Creed or Basayo level, but we'll get a better idea of what he's like as a complete player next year when he's in Delmarva. You can't have too many of these guys. And a lot of the videos that he put out there uh, were some uh, beautiful uh, tape that he pulled because they get all the film from the organization and they like to post those clips like immediately once they get the tape from the Orioles. And a lot sometimes they don't even like crop out like the exit velos and stuff, which are always the best videos, I think. But uh, I, I imagine the Orioles are like, I don't, I don't see how the Orioles aren't harping on them. Like you got to crop that out first before you post on Instagram. But uh, yeah, he's got some pretty vicious exit velos and the stop and stares, the bat flips. This guy's got swag through the roof, and you all know I love that. Um, Vicioso is the all-star MVP down in the DSL, which is really cool. I guess, you know, he is older. He's like 20, 21 years old already. Uh, but again, first year, he's also tagged as a catcher. I think he was signed as a catcher, but he didn't play a single inning as catcher. So he was strictly first base, which he had a great season offensively. Shout out to him for that. He's on this roster. So I don't want to talk him too much because that's not the point of this, but he's an older, it seems like first base prospect, which seems does seem kind of limiting, but yeah, Arias was great. Like fewer ground balls for Arias, hit the ball more in the air, more line drives, much higher ISO power for him this year. That was fun to see. You know, outlets like Fangraphs have been super high on him from the jump, um, at, other than Braylon Tavera, who we'll talk about later on. But good to see Arias have a solid season down there. And yeah, for Guerrero, we do the daily podcast for patrons, and I feel like every time we talked about DSL games, his name was like he was the most consistent guy every single day it was for Guerrero lighting up the box score switch hitter down there in the DSL the, mo the most consistent hitter and you look at some of the improvements he had I jotted down his numbers here he did it um last year about the same number of bats 150 bats last year 183 this year but the average went from 207 to 333 uh OPS from 552 to 898 six extra base hits last year he had 18 this year the walk rate went from 9 to 13%, and the strikeout rate fell from 15 down to 13%. So two good things there to get excited about. And he signed for like pennies, like less than $50,000 signing bonus, which is good to see. And yeah, you talked about Lorenzo. You hit the nail on the head there. 16 years old. I think he just turned 17. The one thing I hate about Lorenzo is do not look at his birthday. It's his birthday. He was born like my second week of college, and that's – depressing i'm looking at these kids i think next year maybe we focus a little bit less on the dsl and fcl because nothing will make you feel older than looking at these guys in their birthdays yeah the rondo just turned 17 three days ago so belated happy birthday to him but 
what I love about his season, and Bob touched on this, he was not good at all in the month of June. And then July, he goes out and posts an 808 OPS. In the month of August, his OPS was 1030. He hit 345 that month and walked six times against 11 strikeouts. So he clearly got better as the season went on. And Arias is making the kind of progression that you want to see a player that young make, where I think he improved in every facet of the game this year. And if you look at his numbers at the plate, especially posting a 371 base percentage when you're 18 years old, I don't care what level it is. That's a good sign. So I really like the progression he's making. I think that that's a guy that when he's in Del Marva's infield next year, we're going to be paying attention to him a lot. And his yeah, birthday. he's going to be in the same infield as Anderson Daler Santos. I'm I'm assuming he's going to repeat, and I feel like him repeating that level. I'm expecting a big jump from him next year. And Arias, he could struggle like Anderson Daler Santos did this year. I know they play different positions, but they're on the infield. Um, or he could be like a Basayo and kind of just take off. He could be another breakout next year, and that's the exciting thing about these guys. We thought, hey, Anderson Daler Santos, he could break out this year in a big way, make a big jump. No but he's learning this year. He could break out next year. They're, they're still very young. So, yeah, the exciting thing is you never know which one of these guys, once they hit full season ball, if they're going to have that learning curve that most, like the vast majority of players do, or if they're just going to take off like a rocket ship, kind of like Ben Cosme and, and Basayo did straight out of the gate. So, yeah. And Lorenzo, one more thing about him is this is a big, big kid, like tall. I'm sure it's really hard to like when you're that young and that big and that tall like you're just you're not very coordinated I feel like I feel like it takes time to to learn your body and and the coordination that goes into that so the fact that he improved the way he did throughout the year I feel like that says a lot about where he could go from here yeah I was about Arias he doesn't turn he'll turn 19 like a couple of weeks before the start of next year's regular season so he's gonna be a 19 year old probably the starting second baseman next to, well, Anderson Dale Santos probably at third base. He'll probably be the starting second baseman or shortstop for Del Marva next year, which is awesome. And yeah, Lorenzo is going to be interesting because like he didn't hit, have a high average. He's only 244, but you look at the walk rate, he still had a 15% walk rate and hit five home runs. And yeah, he just turned 17, but I'm going to be curious. They also gave him like half a million dollar signing bonus. I think it was the second highest signing bonus in this year's class. I imagine he starts next year back in the DSL because he's a 17-year-old kid. But like, I almost wonder, like, would there be any shot of him beginning in Sarasota next year? I mean, it's that's going to be fun, I think, to follow along. But yeah, if there's definitely one guy among this infield that Orioles fans are like, all right, I got enough to follow, uh, just <laughs> who's the highlight here? I think it's Leandro Arias. I think he's he, he may have an Anderson De Los Santos type year next year in Del Marva. But I think if you're looking ahead to like 2025, Arias starts. To, we start to see the Arias that you know outlets like Fangraphs are really gushing over a couple of years ago. And before we move to the outfield, if I could just shout out, like I know I briefly did um, some other guys that didn't quite make this list, but like who was the guy? Uh, Luis Guevara. I mean, this was a DSL guy, um, shortstop, middle infield, batted 318 with an 824 OPS. Uh, six doubles, a triple, 16 stolen bases, a bunch of walks. Uh, Jose Mejia, 346, batting average 885, OPS, seven stolen bases. And again, I think he only got like 
two weeks of play in because he was injured for for a lot of it. And uh, Ellis Cuevas batted 305 with an 856 repeating uh, OPS, repeating the DSL. 14 doubles, four triples, two home runs, 17 stolen bases. Miguel Rodriguez, a catcher, batted 323 with an 874 OPS in six doubles and six stolen bases in the DSL. So plenty of other guys that we didn't even really focus on. And something about the Orioles and catchers with great offense and defense profiles uh, continuing, it seems like, with the youngest uh, kids on the farm. Absolutely. And there were a lot of good candidates in the outfield. In the end, though, the three of us agreed on all three positions, and that's Braylon Tavera, Thomas Sosa, and Yeber Ruiz. Tavera and Sosa were both at the FCL and posted excellent seasons, while Ruiz, in his second stint in the Dominican Summer League, posted a 927 OPS. I'm going to start with Tavera, though, who set what was then a bonus record for an international free agent from the Orioles when he signed before the 2022 season. This was his stateside debut this year, and he really made meaningful improvements at the plate, especially in terms of his power, posting a 421 slugging percentage with four homers after belting just two last year with a 319 slugging percentage down in the DSL. In most other areas of the game, he also improved offensively, and he had very good walk strikeout numbers, drawing 22 walks while fanning 23 times, and to top it all off, he stole 13 bases in 18 attempts. So Tavera, I think we know that this is a player that is still pretty raw. Long way to go because he's only 18 years old, not going to turn 19 until February. But the makings of a pretty good prospect are absolutely in place. I hope so. I, I still don't know how I feel about him, though, just because he did get the highest signing bonus, like you mentioned at the time, was the highest franchise history. But still, no national outlet. At the time, they were just kind of meh on him, right? Fangraphs, he wasn't even like their top 40, I think, whatever it was, deep cut. But, and I don't think I've seen his name pop up like a single time. And even these really good deep cut articles on Baseball Reference or Baseball America puts out, like, you know, these guys dig into their data, the data darlings at the lower levels. You still never see Tavera's name. So either like there's really not a ton here, like the National Outlets think. Or this is a guy who the Orioles were clearly very high on. No one else was. And he's going to like Kyle Bradish this thing in three, four years and become a really good output. He's going to be in Bowie killing it. And we're going to be like, whoa, everyone got this wrong except the Orioles, which I hope that is what happens. But you mentioned the numbers. To his credit, he put up a fantastic year as far as improvements across the board. Those walk to strikeout numbers were a thing of beauty. He's got the speed. He's got good plate, plate, plate discipline. A lot of a lot of these guys too. You saw big improvements in like lowering the ground ball rate, more line drives, more fly balls, more home runs. That's also good to see. Tavera was a part of that as well. So, a lot of positive steps, and and hopefully he becomes a legitimate uh, big time prospect here next year. Yeah, my guess, and obviously without any video even or data, it's just a guess. But I, I just wonder if he's just a guy that doesn't have any tools that strictly stand out, but he's just like good at everything to above average at everything and it kind of just plays up in game better than maybe a, uh the scouting i would would have you uh suggest but yeah i mean i think you saw plenty of reason for optimism here this season he you know his walk rate fell three percent but that's not necessarily a bad thing when it's still 16 and a half percent his strikeout rate dropped by eight percent from 25 to 17 he doubled his iso 
Um, and his WRC plus was 116 in the, in the DSL, 117 in the FCL. So that's some consistency. Um, you know, <laughs> our other big signing, Michael Hernandez, he can't say the same. So I think Tavera will definitely start next year in Delmarva. I, I felt like there was a chance he could have got up there this year, but probably smart to just slow play that a little bit. He'll, he'll start next year in Delmarva, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, if I remember correctly at the time with Tavera, there was some split from national outlets about whether or not he could stick in center field. And that may really determine his value long term because if he can stick as a center fielder, there's not as much pressure for him to develop as a hitter and to develop a lot of power. Whereas if he does end up on a corner, now it's a question of can that bat pick up enough that you can count on, you know, let's say 25 home runs a season from him what is his arm strength going to look like, those sort of things. So I think that there are still plenty of question marks with Tavera, but that's something that I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on is once he gets into full season ball, how does he look as a center fielder and does he project as a center fielder? One of the other, you know, we've got three outfielders here who all had excellent years, but I want to talk about Tavera's teammate uh, in the FCL, and that's Thomas Sosa. We had Kobe Perez on back in January of 2022, right after Tavera was signed. And Perez went out of his way to talk about Sosa on that episode. And if you looked at his numbers in the DSL last year, might not have really understood that. He had just a 68 WRC+. plus. He struck out over 26% of the time, walked um, just over 8%. Despite that, got the promotion to the FCL this year, and it paid off in a big way for him and the Orioles, the walk rate rose to 11.9%, while the strikeout rate fell to 21.7%, and he posted a 128 WRC+. plus. Doing all of this at the young age of 18, he will not turn 19 until January. Yeah, again, just improvements across the board. Much just for more productive player. He doubled his ISO from 101 to 202, like literally doubled it. He had five doubles and three home runs in the DSL. He had seven doubles, three triples, and four home runs in less at-bats in the FCL. So, yeah, I think this was like, you know, last season was like the name. Like you said, um, Kobe Perez, you know, shouted him out specifically. I feel like he was just a guy, like big left-handed power hitter potential that, you know, grabbed our attention and then his actual performance, like, you know, a 68 WRC plus was a little disappointing, but he put up a 128 in the FCL. I feel like this is the guy we imagined when we were hearing about him. It just it just took that extra year of development to, to get there, which is not surprising considering the age of these guys. I love seeing Thomas Sosa have the big year in Sarasota, and not just because I have a couple of his autographed baseball cards uh, and would like to see that value go up, but like he, he was, like, when he was originally signed, he was a player that, I feel like the Orioles sign a lot of they're very young with a ton of physical projection and huge raw power. And most of these guys end up flaming out in the DSL. Some have a, I don't know, like a Luis Gonzalez S career path. Maybe that's not fair. Cause he, he had the COVID year 2020 was supposed to be that 2019 J two class 2020 was supposed to be their first full seasons in the, as a big leaguer or as a professional, not a big leaguer. And, um, but it was wiped out due to COVID. And so I think that hurt a lot of that 2019 class, but still that path of they flash real potential, but then they can't cut it in Delmarva. And if you can get just like one of these kids to hit in each class, I think that's a success. And so like 
kind of TBD on where Sosa is going to fall on that spectrum, obviously, but this year was much better than last year. And I still don't think he got consistent playing time in the FCL. So it was still kind of intermittent at bats. I'm excited to see him next year in Delmarva to get that full season, see what kind of guy we have for real here. You mentioned the increased numbers there. The average, he had almost 300. He had the home runs. The ISO was huge, over 200 ISO, 12% walk rate, and he dropped the strikeout rate from 26% down to 21%. I love to see that from a big-time power hitter, especially. So showed off the power, cut the strikeout rate, walked to the higher clip, doubled the ISO, Hopefully it's not a, again, sorry for like, you know, these guys catching strays here for me, but like Rolfie Cruz trap. I know he was a guy we were all super excited about because of the big time numbers you put in the FCL. And then he got to Delmarva and you know it was, we didn't hear his name again once he got promoted, I feel like to Delmarva. So like, hopefully he turns that around next year, but we'll see where Sosa falls on this, but he's one of my guys. Like I'm just, a lot of these guys, I can highlight your name. I file it away. I'm going to keep paying attention to you and understand that we're in like a three, four year holding pattern here until we find out much more about these guys, but it's all right. Who's intriguing enough for me to keep paying attention to, but Sosa it's like, I'm having a hard time controlling that excitement. He's, he's one of these guys that I've been hyped up from the start and he did get almost $400,000 signing bonus. So clearly the Orioles were uh, pretty high on him from the jump. Yeah. I, I love the way you put that. That's exactly what it is with these guys. It's like, yeah, you kind of just check a box next to their next to their name and be like, "Yep, I'm gonna remember this name. I'm gonna pay a little bit more attention when I'm, you know, what's the first name I'm looking for when I scan the box score, that that type of thing." And yeah, Sosa definitely checked a lot of boxes this year. And if I can go straight into Yerba Ruiz, I mean, I know you have to take it with a grain of salt when a guy is repeating a level, especially the DSL. But my goodness, he went from batting 123 to batting 273. 524 OPS to 927 OPS. His walk rate jumped from 12% to 19.5. His strikeout rate fell from 34.2% to 16.1%. Again, doubled his ISO. 150 WRC plus. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what we have in this guy. That is clearly a huge jump up. I don't really know anything about him other than what I just read off. So, again, just going to remember the name when we go into next year. We'll go over now to the pitching staff, and as I mentioned at the top of this segment, we couldn't come to a consensus on most of these spots, but we did come to a clear consensus on our starting pitcher out of the Dominican Summer League, and that was right-hander Jesus Palacios. Palacios did get some time in the DSL in 2022, but it was only 13 in the third innings. He went back this year and was absolutely lights out as a starter, throwing 15 two-thirds innings across 11 starts, with 60 strikeouts against his 13 walks. Along the way, he posted a 1.95 ERA to go to 2.68 fifth and a 3.26 at fifth. Also did not allow a home run throughout the entire season. Yeah, I, I think just statistically, he really stood out. I think he had more innings than anyone in the FCL or DSL this year. Huge strikeout, very low walk numbers. That's a big positive sign when looking at these pitchers. He does have a, a couple of videos that I saw of his. It looks like he's already got really good breaking stuff. It looks like it's a, it's a changeup that like one of these already like the Carlos Tavera esque like that trapdoor changeup. Just once it hits the hitter's hands, it just drops. He's got that going for him already. I don't have velo numbers on him, but the stuff looks good on velo, and he's got the numbers to back it up. Um, it's clearly. It, I think I also saw that he's already signed to play professionally in Venezuela this winter. 
And I, I saw some tweets that were kind of hyping him up. So it seems like Venezuela is where the Orioles are targeting. And Kobe Perez talked about that. When we had him on that. He's focused heavily on Venezuelan talent. And these guys are starting to shine through. And Palacios is one of these guys. And I would, it, it seems like uh, the baseball teams back home and the baseball community back home in Venezuela are super excited about this kid. So I'm excited to get eyes on him next year. Finally is I imagine he moves stateside to the FCL at least. Yeah. I mean, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he starts or gets to Delmarva before the FCL season even starts because 50 innings is yeah. like sets him up for 80, 90 innings next year. And I don't know if you're going to get that many if you have to wait all the way to the FCL season to start. Obviously, they can get them innings, you know, in, before that, just in the Sarasota campus. But he only walks 6.3% of batters, struck out 28.8%. Held batters under 200 average, 195. I mean, I don't know. I think he he seems a little more refined than a lot of these guys, especially with the command. I mean, that's very impressive. He's six foot two. I feel like if he can fill out a little bit, he could be like a uh, what's his name, Juan De Los Santos, like a, a guy who just pops up. Delmarva, super young, and we're like, okay, let's see what we got. So, yeah, again, I mean, no guarantee, but I would not be surprised if he's in Delmarva next year at some point. I could absolutely see him being one of those guys who either skips the FCL or goes to Delmarva after two or three starts, which is something the Orioles have shown over the years that they'll be aggressive with that FCL to low-A promotion, whether it was Gene Pinto back in 2021, Davey Cruz last year, or the least De Leon, who I'm going to talk about in a minute here. But what stood out to me about Palacios and what he did this year, he just turned 18 in – March. He won't turn 19 until the following March. And I mentioned it only 13 to 30 innings pits last year. So this is a guy that came into this season with very little professional experience, still really young and yet thrived. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes about how the Orioles view him. And that's that's why I'm talking about checking the box on a lot of these guys. Palacios is the guy who I've got big check mark. I've got his name circled. I've got it highlighted. I've got it all. I'm excited to see where he starts next year. And I mean, we've been told numerous times by people within this organization, the international talent is coming. And I think you're going to start seeing it. We're seeing it with a lot of the, the bats early on down in uh, Delmarva this year. I think next year, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now, I think next year is probably going to be the year of the international pitcher in this organization. A lot of these guys are going to start thriving, moving up the ranks significantly, and hopefully Palacios is one of those guys. We'll go now to where we had our splits, which was on the FCL starting pitcher as well as the relievers from both levels. I'll start with the pitcher that I chose for the FCL, and that was left-hander Luis De Leon. Now, if you've been following the Sorbers over the last month or so, you've undoubtedly seen De Leon's name pop up. He's been excellent since going to low A. 22 innings pits, he struck out 26 batters while walking nine and posting a .82 ERA. Prior to that, he had been in the FCL where he emerged pretty much as the team's most consistent starter during his time there. He went 27 to 30 innings pitch, struck out 36 batters while walking 14, posting a 165 ERA. And what was impressive is that his command got better as time went on down there. That has carried over to Delmarva. Now, as a rule, I held myself to De Leon's stats in the FCL only, but I want to point this out which is that in his final FCL start back on July 6th, he walked just one batter in four innings of work while striking out seven. Since he's been promoted to Delmarva, he's walked just nine in 22 innings pitch, which is 
incredible considering where he started out this season when he was consistently walking two or three batters a game. And he walked four batters into the start that went five innings on June 29th. And since then, has completely turned a corner with his command. And a lot of that got started down in the FCL. Yeah. The only reason I didn't pick De Leon is because I, I just consider him like one of the best pitching prospects in the organization now. So I feel like he's advanced past FCL. Maybe that's not fair, but I just figured it'd be better chance to shout out somebody else at that level. But I definitely have no qualms with picking him here. I mean, as soon as I saw he was touching 96 as a left-handed pitcher, 20 years old, like that was enough for me. And, and the breaking stuff's good as well. He's been fantastic. Um, yeah, when Nick talks about next year being the year, the international pitcher for this organization, he's going to start at Aberdeen and end at Bowie at 21 years old next year. So let's go. Yeah, I just associated him more with Del Marmo, and that's why I didn't have him on my list either. But yeah, that's a good call to highlight him here because he definitely deserves it. Pop-up prospect, at least from our perspective, pop-up prospect. Clearly the Orioles knew what they had in him. Uh, I did get scared a little bit there when he had that one inning stint. Or like he, he was definitely in trade talks, and that was a precautionary. You got to take him out while talks are happening move. I'm glad he's still in the organization because we've we seen some of these guys like Davey Cruz and some others pop up last year, and they had solid seasons in their own right. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks as we wrap up each level. But Luis De Leon, I just think you mentioned the velo, the breaking stuff. I think he's on a whole other level. He's in a, a tier of his own. And so next year, that'd be great to see him in the year in Bowie. I wouldn't put it past him at all. Yeah, and I guess I'll talk about my pick. I went with Andres, Andres Parra. Um, he started in the DSL, and he was promoted midseason to the FCL. And to me, that speaks volumes. Like, there were other guys who were not going to mention. Echo Cajaya, Nolan Cuevas, Miguel Mesa also got promoted from the DSL after having success there to the FCL, I just feel like that speaks volumes of the confidence that the organ organization has in the pitchers that got promoted midway through that season. Cause that's not just like going from Delmarva to Aberdeen. That's like going from out of country to the States. And that, that's like a whole nother level to it. So clearly they want to see these guys pushed and, and uh, face the adversity. And I feel like Andres Parra out of the guys that got that treatment, uh, performed the best. He was 0-1 with a zero ERA. He didn't give up a single run over 14 innings in a DSL. Uh, 12 hits com and walks combined, so a, a whip under one, 16 strikeouts. And then he comes up, he's 2-0 with a 3-12 ERA over just under nine innings, eight and two-thirds with seven strikeouts. So continued his success up the ladder, and hopefully he can start next year in the FCL and then maybe try to work his way into Delmarva mid-season to, to end of the season. And I think I was looking at the list earlier. I think he had one of the lower signing bonuses in his class too. So that's love to see that. I went with a lefty for my other starting pitcher, all-star here, uh, Francisco Moraro, uh, Moreau, butchering his name. I apologize, but he's only a 17 year old lefty had a higher strikeout rate actually than Palacios at 30%. So in much fewer innings, 3.89 ERA. The FIP and XFIP are pretty similar as well. He did get a write-up in Ben Badler's class review article, and he noted that before this season, he was touching 91 already as a 16-year-old then lefty with plenty of room to get stronger and add velo. He already has good control. Signed for $197,000, can spin a curveball, and has a lot of starter traits. So check that box. Lefty, 6'2", plenty of room to grow, bigger and stronger, 
already striking out 30% of hitters. Walk rate uh, could be improved, but again, he's so young. I'm not worried too much about that. I like the strikeout numbers. I like the low ERA, and I like Ben Battler's right up there about him. So he's definitely a guy that I'm going to watch uh, pretty closely next year. We'll go to the bullpens now, and I'll admit I had kind of a tough time when it came to these two teams, zeroing in on my selection. For the DSL, I went with Eduardo Torres, a right-hander who was actually in his third stint with the DSL. However, he's still just 19 years old. Admittedly, the walk numbers were not good. Uh, he walked 19 batters in 18 innings pitch, but he did strike out 20 in that span. And I will note that similar to some trends we've seen with um, other pitchers in this organization, one of them being Chase McDermott, the walks kind of came in clusters. He walked 10 batters in the month of July, but then when you look at his numbers in June and August, they were much better. So I don't know what was going on in July for Torres, but overall I thought he posted good numbers. The fact that he gave up just seven hits in 18 innings is a good sign. It's going to be a matter of honing that command going forward, but pretty strong numbers from him this season. Like it. I'll throw out a name here that I went with. Another lefty, uh, Alberto Leandro, a 6'3 Venezuelan lefty, who he is 21 years old, he's, but he's one of these older arms who signed right after the January period. I think he signed in May of this year. The Orioles sign like 10 of these guys every year throughout the summer. And if it's less than what, is it five or $10,000? It doesn't count against your international bonus pool uh, allotment. So these guys are getting peanuts. They're, they're much older than their peers that they're pitching into in the DSL. But still, I mean, wasn't there another, or I hate to do the comparison thing, but wasn't there another organization that liked to capitalize on some of these guys as well in, in the past? Um, it's it's a thing where I think this is a fun way to kind of challenge your scouts and find these super hidden, completely overlooked guys. And if just one every like five years hits, that's a big success. Leandro, who knows? He had a good first year, uh, 4.18 ERA, but a 3.16 FIP, 21% strikeout rate. But again, the walk rate super low, around 5-6%. And I, I gave him the nod largely because he was a perfect uh, three for three and save opportunities. So didn't get to pitch too much because he signed super late, but was a contributor uh, immediately down there in the GSL. Yeah, who knows? He could either be Randy Barrett next year, a guy who's been in Delmarva's bullpen all year, running like a 10 ERA throughout. Um, or he could be a guy that kind of, you know, figures something out and takes off a little bit. So, yeah, I also picked an older guy, Carlos Brito, who is 21 and, a, and six, or no, he just turned 21 years old. I don't know where I got six months instead of six days from, but, um, you know, if you have a 0 0.86 ERA over 21 innings, 3-0, 20 strikeouts, like, I got to shout you out. It's probably a little bit of good luck because his his FIP and XIP are right around four, but just, you know, all the best pitchers are going to be starters. So it's a little bit trickier to, to pick out the relievers at this level, but wanted to shout out the season that he had. He also signed late July 11th is when he signed. So very much so a late bloomer there for him. Just to backtrack before we move on to the FCL reliever, I just want to uh, update something on Eduardo Torres, my selection. I was looking at his baseball reference page, which has not been fully updated. Torres ended up logging 19 to third innings pitch this season, the 1.86 ERA, 21 strikeouts, 21 walks in that span. We'll go now to our FCL reliever. I went with Eris Rodriguez, who ended up getting promoted to Delmarva after a pretty solid run. The 21-year-old posted an ERA of 0.82 in 11 innings with the FCL. 
struck out eight batters in that span, did walk nine, but overall solid numbers that allowed him to get the bump up to the sewer birds. Yeah. I messed up. I had Brito as uh, my other guy. So uh, even though he's in the DSL, I didn't notice the separation there. So I just had Brito, but I don't know if Bob has another name there. Yeah, I got Angel Vargas, which was a very interesting case. <laughs> he's a six foot one right handed pitcher, 21 years old, um, but he's been in the organization since 2019. He's struggled mightily throughout his uh, Orioles career. He was actually logged 23 innings in Delmarva last year for the Orioles had an 11.79 ERA so he was kind of like that Randy Barrett last year but this year he started out back in the FCL and again had an 11.57 ERA over two and a third innings not looking great but then he goes back to Delmarva and in nine games since being with the Shorebirds he's pitched 15 and a third innings got a 1.76 ERA He's striking out 31.8% of batters, and his FIP and XFIP are low to mid threes, so something clicked there. And, you know, he's only 21 years old, a tall right-handed pitcher, which the Orioles like, so maybe uh, maybe there's something there after all. Just wanted to shout him out as well. And that's our wrap-up of the FCL and DSL seasons. It was fun to follow these young players over the course of the season. We look forward to seeing them at higher levels next year. And with that, we'll go into our final segment of the week where we shout out players outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or maybe there's just something interesting in their stat line we want to point out. I want to start with Bob because Bob's pitcher is a 2023 draft pick that seems to already be gaining a lot of fans uh, in Birdland. Teddy Sharkey, Mr. Emoji. Um, You know... He looks like a psychopath, as uh, someone so kindly put it on our uh, podcast, Mr. Joe Doyle. But he looks like a guy who's just going to race through the system. If he's a pure relief prospect, if they're not going to give him a chance to start, which at this point, why would you? He's looked incredible. Obviously, it's against low-level competition for him at this point, but five strikeouts over two innings his last time out. Stuff is electric. I just feel like if you're... He could get up to AAA next year as a reliever um, the year after he was drafted just because his stuff is ridiculous and he seems like an intimidating presence on the mound. So very fun pitcher to watch. Very exciting stuff. Going to strike out a ton of batters. And uh, it'll it'll be enjoyable all along the way. And for my position player, I wanted to shout out another guy in the FCL who, if you look at the surface numbers, you're going to be like, oh man, I was excited about him after his debut in the DSL and that's Aaron Estrada who we talked a lot about last year he's five foot eight second baseman with a beautiful swing he batted 368 with a OPS over a thousand last year in the DSL for a 178 WRC plus well he missed some action I think he was battling injuries or something minor because he only got in 23 games 81 plate appearances he batted 206 with a 748 OPS which yeah, that sounds disappointing. That's also a 108 WRC+. I will say it's the tale of BABIP to me because he walked more. He went from 16.7% walk rate to 185 Strikeouts are pretty much exactly the same, 132 to 136 ISO was a little bit lower, but the BABIP last year in a DSL, it was 412. This year it's 235. So Split the difference, and I think he might have had a very similar season. So don't get down on Aaron Estrada just because of his 
his numbers uh, between the two leagues. I think he's the same player, and next year he'll be in Delmarva. Maybe it's uh, Arias, De Los Santos, and Estrada in that middle infield, and uh, we're excited. Yeah, I can't wait to see Aaron Estrada uh, and all of his tools out there. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my pitcher first here, and I'm just gonna pander to the local crowd with this pick. To be honest, Jack Maruskin. Uh, he's from Rockville, Maryland. Went to Frostburg State. Signed as an undrafted free agent right after this 2023 draft. He made his FCL debut earlier this month, and um, it didn't go very well, to say the least. His first outing, he recorded just one out, but gave up eight runs on four hits, hit a batter, walked four, and did not strike anybody out. It was not pretty. His second outing, he went one and two-thirds innings, one hit, no runs, but three walks to just two strikeouts. So it was uh, it was rough. But he got to bump up to Delmarva after the FCL season ended, made his Delmarva debut last week, had two shutouts, actually two no-hit innings, no walks, and two strikeouts. So shout-out to another Maryland kid here in the org, and hopefully the nerves are gone. Uh, it's just a little jitters making that jump to the to the pro ranks, and uh, he can finish strong these last couple of weeks. What do we got, like two, three weeks left of the minor league season at the A-ball level? So good there for Jack. My hitter, I'm going to go Steven Acevedo because I actually wanted to bring him up to get y'all's thoughts on him. Acevedo and Luis Gonzalez, you know, were two guys that's really the only two international players in this system getting national love back in like 2019 or early 2020 before the pandemic. Gonzalez, you know, caught some strays from me earlier tonight. And sorry about that, Luis. But Acevedo, I thought, was following the same path. He didn't capitalize last year on his playing time in Delmarva, kept getting sent back down to the FCL. Had a rough stretch this year where I thought he was going to be done for, but he's been solid the last month or so. Last week, he had five hits in six games, a home run, three walks, just three strikeouts. On the year, he's actually played in 92 games, all with Delmarva. He's got 10 home runs, 17 doubles, 31 stolen bases. The 118 strikeouts to 32 walks isn't great, neither is the 239 average. But again, he's been better these last two months or so. Are we still in on Acevedo as a guy that we're intrigued by? to see what he can do in Aberdeen next year? Or is this just like kudos for finding your stride there for a couple of weeks, but you don't really see him being able to like take the next jump in his development? I'll say I'm still intrigued. I'm still intrigued. He's still striking out too much. I wonder if he starts back in Delmarva one more time, let him, you know, come in fresh after off a, a much more productive season than he's had. He's right around league average offensively. Not sure about the defense, but he's still only 21 years old. Like he just turned 21 uh, less than a month ago. So he'll come into next year 21 again. And maybe he's like an Elio Prado where he's just consistently getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And then now we see Prado is up in Aberdeen and, and performing fairly well. So maybe he can, you know, be next year's Elio Prado where he's back in Delmarva to start eventually gets promoted up to Aberdeen and we'll see what happens from there, but I'm not giving up on him, but he's still not that close to my personal top 50 prospects, but that's, that's not saying a ton because we have such a deep farm system, but still very intrigued by Mr. Steven Acevedo. He's got all the tools, the speed, the power potential. You can see it now. It's starting to come out. He's six foot four. If he continues to get stronger and stronger and, and get adjusted to his, his body, like I was talking about with Lorenzo, the coordination, then you never know. Yeah, I'm with Bob. I think intrigued is the right way to describe it. Uh, he's not anywhere close to my top 50 either. 
but there's undeniably an interesting skill set, and I would start him back in Delmarva just to see if he can build off of what he's doing in the month of August, which he hasn't been great, but the numbers are definitely showing signs of improvement. So I would send him back because you know that he needs to develop, and we also know that Aberdeen's probably going to have a pretty crowded outfield to start next season. So you can get him regular playing time at Delmarva, and if he's able to make that progression, then by Memorial Day or so, you can see him in Aberdeen, I think. But I would definitely I would definitely say I'm still intrigued by Acevedo. All right. I'll still be intrigued. But just wanted to, I wanted the thoughts because he's a guy I don't think we ever talked about, and I didn't know if – should I still be intrigued? Is this a mirage? What's going on with him? But definitely shout-out to Acevedo for – Putting it up, like I think you guys put it well, a more productive year this year, to say the least. I'll go with my picks this week. And I have a little bit of a theme, which is on Saturday night, Norfolk was trailing 10-1 to against Durham going into the bottom of the third inning. They ended up coming all the way back and winning that game 13-12. to And I'm going to shout out two guys who played very important roles in that. Wanderson Charles, who is credited with the win, delivered two shutout innings which helped the Tides come back in that game. Charles was someone who was really on our radar at the start of this year. His overpowering stuff was really on display at Bowie, where he was absolutely dominant in over 15 to third innings before being promoted to Norfolk. Things have not gone as well in AAA for Charles, but it's worth noting that he is getting better. If you look at his last five outings, a stretch that dates back to August 16th, he has not given up a run over seven innings while striking out eight batters and walking four. Still a little bit of command issues, but clearly seems to be settling in and getting comfortable at AAA. And, you know, looking forward to 2024, if he's back in the organization next year, maybe he's a guy that starts out in Norfolk's bullpen. And if he's able to continue to improve, we see him in the Major League bullpen at some point. And then my hitter is a guy who's not a prospect. It's Lewin Diaz. Diaz came off the bench and delivered the walk-off hit in Saturday's game to give Norfolk the victory. But he also had a very good series against the Bulls last week. In five games, he fell to the home run while going five for 16 at the plate and drawing a pair of walks. Diaz was so much fun, especially in the early part of the year, because it was like Diaz, Ortiz. uh, I can't remember who else was in that lineup, but there were like five guys in that Norfolk lineup who had a 900-plus OPS, I think, for like two or three months. Yeah, O'Hearn. all these guys, Diaz, like credit to Diaz for turning things around. Luckily, the Orioles didn't have to dip that deep uh, into the depth pool. But, you know, if if something were to happen, like Diaz at least turned it around this year. And I'm just – this that's one of those instances where you're just glad to see him have such a productive season in Norfolk all year long and have a moment like that because put prospect status away. Who cares? He's He got – how many different organizations did he – was he – what? DFA'd, signed to, cut, released from this past offseason like seven or eight times over the stretch of like two weeks or something ridiculous. He found a home. He stuck there all year down there in Norfolk and had a big, uh, big fun moment that I'm sure he won't forget. So kudos to him. And honestly, Juanis and Charles, if, God forbid, worst case scenario, Felix Bautista has to go under the knife and misses all of next year, I could honestly see Charles coming into spring training and maybe obviously not replacing Bautista, but at least a similar style pitcher that could make the team out of spring training. And who knows? He's got the potential, all the potential in the world. If he can get those walks under control like he had in, in Bowie, if he can do that at the major league level, he's he's a legitimate major league reliever. 
he's doing that. I, I don't know what it is. I think I mentioned this in a daily, but like his last five outings, seven innings, no hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, four walks. Yeah, that's that's too many. You don't want to see that many walks in that small sample size there. But like the strikeouts have also decreased significantly, but so have the walks. Like four, four and seven is nothing compared to what this guy was putting up a couple weeks ago. So I, I think it's an instance of like they're dialing him back just a little bit and focusing more on that command and control. And if it's working, I agree. I love Watson Charles, uh, his prospect status for uh, next year. See what he can do in the big league level. And with that, that does it for this week's show. A quick programming note, our show next week is going to air on Wednesday night rather than Monday night. So we look forward to being joined by Ryan Ripken, who will be our guest for next week's episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on X or Twitter at BSL on the Verge. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to mark your calendars for October 2nd when we will be hosting our live show from Checker Spot Brewing in Baltimore. I was actually at the old location, or the soon-to-be old location, yesterday. Very much looking forward to seeing a new one here when it opens this weekend. And we will be there October 2nd with our live show. Also want to shout out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. If you're browsing the internet, head over there for the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're on BSL, be sure to hop on the message board and join discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.